0: Just a reminder, our podcast deals with crimes that are often violent and graphic in nature. So, listener discretion is advised. So, when in doubt, leave the kids out. Now, please let us take you back in time.
1: Do you want me to say hello or do you want to
0: say hello? I think I'll say hello today, Miss Melissa. I mean, Miss Melissa. <laughs> hey guys we're getting our podcast legs and we are on episode 11 so welcome back yeah double digits digits. hello hello. wait weren't we double digits yes we were we were we
1: have passed the 10 mark
0: yes we are you can tell yes you can tell we are getting we're enjoying this and so we hope you enjoy it too as y'all are hanging out with us um so today's 11 and how are you doing
1: melissa well, last week it was nice and sunny and warm, and today oh, is
0: cold and rainy. It was gorgeous. And now it's just, and the people I see their grass across the street
1: is green. Well, people were watering their lawn last week and cutting it and oh, taking care of their yards. Okay. And we, being the procrastinators that we are, have not started that yet. I've never had green grass. I need to cut my grass. Yes, me too. <laughs> All right,
0: guys, well, we'll get started because we. know sometimes chit chat can be boring so we'll go ahead and talk about the butter box babies
1: so this happens in canada in nova scotia which we do have some canadian listeners so this goes out to you but imagine that you're on trying to complete your family tree you're researching your ancestry to learn about your heritage that's popular now with the you know Crumbs oh, yeah. 23 Mean, Ancestry.com. I'm not real you, crazy about the DNA part of it. But <laughs> but you discover that you were involved in one of Canada's largest baby farming scandals. And that you survived and escaped a terrible fate of neglect and starvation. So today we're going to talk about the Butterbox babies. Sounds good. I'm interested. So let's start by talking about Lila Koolin. So, she was born in Fox Point, Nova Scotia in 1899. She was raised as a devout Seventh day Adventist. And when she was 26, she meets William Young. I wonder if her parents partied like it was 1899.
0: <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know.
1: But he ends up being a licensed chiropractor. And he also served as an Adventist medical missionary, so he kind of traveled and, and spread the gospel and helped the sick. In his in his eyes, he was you know a good good guy. So, but they went to school, so they both graduate the same year. Lila graduates from the National School of um, Obstetrics, okay, and she, midwifery, so wow. she becomes a midwife. And William is from the National College of Chiropractic. So the two are married, and they go on to have five children of their own. So,
0: I think that's cool. I never thought about chiropractic care going back that, that far, but well, it's a it, pretty,
1: in that time frame, if you were a chiropractor, you were like a quack. Well, it, it was like, yeah. yeah, mojo, mumbo, like, well, and trickery,
0: it, like, it. it's whole, just really become more commonplace in the last probably 30 years. I, I mean, just from my lifetime experience, but. Anyway, I can see it being...
1: I just watch the videos where they, like, crack people's back and their necks, and I'm just thinking, what if you had someone who was mad that day, <laughs> you, they you know just no, move a little bit too You've never too been much. to a chiropractor? No. I oh, kind of want to, but yes. then I kind of... You watch the videos,
0: and I'm so watched the videos. No, it's awesome. <laughs> I just don't like my neck. If you're a chiropractor out there, we're really thankful I am for you, because it I'm helps me. I'm interested, but yeah. scared. Well... <laughs> I, I, it's it's very good stuff, I, I think. So, anyway.
1: Well, I mean, I've heard good things about it. Mm-hmm. But back, back then, if you were a chiropractor, you were. It was a little, yeah. yeah. Gotcha. it's a little. Uh, but, you know, the two were quite ambitious, and they decided to go into business together. Okay. So, in East Chester, Nova Scotia, um, it's about 40 miles from Halifax, they bought a four-bedroom cottage. And in February of 1928, they opened it as the life and health sanitarium. And the slogan is where the sick get well. Oh, wow. I've never liked that word sanitarium either. It's I'm glad it got away so from It so institutional. Yes, definitely. But, um, so when things were getting started, you know, they could barely afford to house any patients in their, in their four tiny, tiny little bedrooms. So both of them are educated and they knew a great deal in their respective fields. So it wasn't long before they realized that they had found their little niche that they could fit in and make money and their services were being in high demand. So at the time in Canada, if you became pregnant um, and you didn't have a husband, things were pretty bad. It was a different time period. Um, You were shamed. You were probably disowned by your family. Your reputation was ruined. um, Abortions and birth control were illegal. uh, There's little support and just virtually no government assistance to help you through. You're basically on your own. You had to deal with it. Um, But until you find Lila and William. Uh So they, you know, and their house were there to assist you. Let's see. The Life and Health Sanitarium advertised as a safe place to retreat, give birth, and then return to life as you were on vacation and you kept your reputation intact and people never even realized you were pregnant. So I wonder how they advertised.
0: Did they get it out there, I guess, I know I there were some
1: you, brochures, probably some word of mouth.
0: Yeah. Um, from the few people they could get in their their little four bedroom apartment. I guess when you're if you're desperate and seeking something that you know, you, you find a way. I guess.
1: You ask the right people, yes. I guess. Um, we do not have any
0: experience with that. <laughs> so
1: but um, they would help you, except it would cost you a small fortune. Wow. Um, one that many women couldn't pay in those situations. And so Lila would still help them help you out. But then you were in debt to her and became an employee. Wow. So she always had this run of help coming in who could always work to pay off their debt. They were trapped. Exactly. Kind of like kidnapped in a way. So with that idea, they decided to do some little rebranding. So, they changed the name from the Life and Health Sanitarium to the Ideal Maternity Home and Sanitarium. Oh, you had me at Ideal Maternity Home. <laughs> well, that's what sanitarium. it's mostly n- known for. I think okay. they kind of like that was the Ideal um, Maternity Home was what they were commonly called. But they catered private maternity services to mostly unwed mothers, and they usually average at age 17. Um, so, Lila operates as the manager and midwife, so she delivers the babies. And William was the acting doctor and director. So oh. he would often like pray um, by their side while she delivered their babies. Mm. And so as with any business, you do have to charge for your services. And the ideal maternity home was not cheap. So in the time frame, so we're about 1920s, you were making anywhere from $4 to $8 a week. So back then, that was a
0: lot of money, especially things weren't didn't cost as much, like a few cents for
1: things and so that was a lot but the youngs charged around 75 dollars for married women to come in and give birth and stay for two weeks to recover
0: wow think about how long i want two weeks to recover. yeah
1: me too <laughs> hospitals now kick you out like day two <laughs> yes <laughs> and
0: 75 dollars though that would have taken them a long time to save that mm-hmm. up because at four to eight you got to
1: pay your bills wow so the youngs would make some money this way but the more dire you needed their services, the steeper the charge. Mm. So they they knew how to exploit. So unmarried women would sometimes be charged $100 to $200 in advance for room and board to deliver and cover adoption costs. They were also charged for diapers, oh about goodness. $12 for the diapers, and then a fee of close to $300 to house the baby until it was adopted
0: that is a lot of money for now. Yeah. I mean, you know, <laughs> I'm thinking I couldn't even pay that now.
1: $12 for diapers. But then if a tragedy struck and something happened and the newborn died or they didn't make it through delivery, um, which was common in that, that time frame, they would charge you $20 for a funeral. Oh man. All in the it's... same, the same bill. And a, a lot of times they couldn't pay. So, and, and they would do um, It's like if a mother wanted her baby to be adopted out to a family with a certain religion, um, she charged an extra $50 fee <laughs> to find the right parents.
0: Because she thought that her beliefs, so she wanted a parent that believed the same way as
1: she did. Right. Um, but it's like many Jewish couples flocked to adopt with the youngs because American agencies and Canadian agencies had a rule that they would not adopt out Jewish ba- or non-Jewish babies to Jewish parents. Oh man. That's... And so to get around that, she was like, Hey, you want a Jewish baby? Sure. 50 bucks. I'll find you one. Oh. So they were
0: able to go and get that mm -hmm. under the
1: table, basically. So if you could pay her fee, she would find you the perfect baby for your family. And this allowed them to enter the adoption black market where most of their money was made. Unfortunately, um, William, he even had the unwed mothers sign contracts upon arrival that gave him power of attorney over the, their newborns uh, that allowed him to adopt them out. And if the contract wasn't signed within two weeks, they were also charged another 20 bucks. Wow.
0: Like, that's ex- so you, that's once ex- you entered in yeah. your trap,
1: you really nothing you could do at that point. That's extortion. And so this was, you know, insane amount of money at the time. So the women were desperate and they were willing to pay to get out of their situation. Um, but on the flip side, there's also desperate couples who wanted a child of their own mm-hmm. for certain reasons. You know, we know now infertility adoption right. um, is, is popular. And so they would pay enormous fees to have a child of their own and so their adoption fees on the flip side she i mean each baby was sold from anywhere between a thousand to ten thousand oh, um mm-hmm. and usually average around five thousand it's depending on what the time frame because when they first started out they started lower and right. then like the war and depending on the the, pop- the the culture and and people coming to her and the popularity. and the demand then she Inflation. was able to increase so in between 1937 and 1947, just 10 years of operating. They operated longer than that. Just within that 10-year time frame, it was estimated that they raked in like $3.5 million, Wow, that's a lot. Which was a huge yes. amount of money.
0: That is a lot of money. And it's sad the way they were getting getting yes. it.
1: So not everything was running smoothly, of course. So, if you looked at the advertisements, it was a wonderful place to come and give birth, recover, come for that vacation, hide your pregnancy, return to your life scandal-free, and, you know. They made it look really appetizing and sugar-coated
0: everything, it sounded like, to get people of in course. there.
1: Because
0: if it sounds Kinda too good like, to be true, it's not. Yeah, <laughs> Even today. <laughs> I was going to say, nothing has changed at all. I mm-hmm. mean,
1: marketing is... Just lying to us. Well. And and people are gullible and believe it. Yeah. Yeah. It's sad. But between 1928 and 1935, they recorded um, that they had 148 births and 12 deaths. Now, that's just what was reported. Now, we know they're not honest people. And so, I imagine there's probably a lot more that went on in in that building than that. But just that, with 12 deaths and 148 births, gave them a mortality rate of 8.1%. And at the time, the country's rate was at 3.1. So it was three times more dangerous or likely that the infant would die being born in this ideal maternity home. Wow. But did they
0: report that? Because I would think them being on the dark side, they wouldn't report it being on the dark That's what market. they
1: report. Well, not reporting. I'm sure they or didn't is... report a lot, but they had to report. They had, were operating as a maternity home, so that so they, had, they had, it, had to report something. Okay. Um, of course, the regulations and rules were no not as strict as they should be, and right. they probably got away with a whole heck of a lot, but that's just what they reported happened. Okay. Um, you know, despite that, business was booming. So even though they had that going on, people were still needing their services quite readily. And so, you know, multiple changes were made to the house. They did expansions. They did um they remodeled, you know, then they moved to an inn that was bigger and had more rooms. You know, they bought cars, you know, they were getting adjusted to this new lifestyle, having made all this money. Um, You know, not being able to make ends meet was a thing of the past. So now they got this money pouring in. So eventually in 1943, they were operating out of a $40,000 facility. So this massive, this house, that had 54 rooms, 14 bathrooms, multiple nurseries. Um, beautifully landscaped lawn, picturesque flowers that were probably all over that brochure that said, come stay here. Free labor. Um, Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) In more ways than one. And best of all, mortgage free because they weren't in debt. So everything that was coming in was just rolling right into the bank. And so on any given day, they had at least 70 infant babies. So all these people wanting to adopt could just come in and just free pick. Not Not have have to wait, not have to wait a long time. Not be on a waiting list for years you know, not have to go all the red tape. (laughs) So, but many of these children did find good homes. A lot of the children were adopted out, Um, often going to the United States where couples were restricted from adopting due to age laws, etc. where we were getting stricter. Um, But most of these adoptions were not legal. Um, Adoptive parents, you know, never found out that maybe a set of twins might've been separated in order to get them their child um you know unsuspecting mothers were told their babies were stillborn or that something had happened Mm. and it didn't they just adopted them out and then so they were left um leaving without a baby um it's just it's really sad and these people were evil they weren't even true
0: to what they were acting like when we first started out in the story with their um their faith they didn't because you can't do that to no. children and families. And, and one, heart.
1: Yeah, one client who went in and, and went through their, their program, if you want to call it, used their services, adopted her baby out, changed her mind, and wanted it back. And she was told that, you know, hey, it's already been placed for adoption, but if you come up with $10,000, we'll get it for you. And I, that just... Well, did you ever research or find out the outcome of that? I not I, I didn't find out if she got her baby back or not, wow. but... It's just, it's really sad. I mean, it would take
0: somebody really strong to come out and fight that, especially back in the 40s. But, um, whereas people come out of the woodworks now
1: for things. Yeah. So. And, and that's, it's just sad all the way around. But, um, what's even sadder is a lot of the babies who were less than desired at the time, you know, ones that were biracial or have physical deformities or, um, you know, they were starved to death. They were put on a diet of water and molasses, um, which would kill them in about two weeks. And oh. during that time, they were put in um, the butter boxes, which is where this name comes from. There was a local uh, creamery, uh, dairy that would deliver butter in these boxes that were pine boxes, um, just the right size for a newborn to oh. fit in. And so they would um, be essentially starved to death and then they would be buried. Um So that's where the name Butterbox Babies comes from. That makes me mad. I know. So so we're going to take a short break, and then we'll we'll be back right after this. Welcome back. Um, We needed a little break to refresh ourselves Yeah, because this story kind of bums me out a little bit it does
0: me too because um, every
1: every child is a gift from god and
0: so whether they had things you know different um like born with different defects or whatever they're still a gift and they need to be cherished so that was a little sad and a downer
1: but so let's continue we can just continue the downward spirals. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so by 1933, it's it's clear that this is a multi-million dollar business and they in gained some pop, popular and powerful clients and they had some pull now in political climates, which is what we see mm-hmm. when you get big and you have money. So wealthy politicians, high society members had had to use their services Mm. Um, to avoid scandals of their own. So, and in turn, they gave generous donations, and it just keeps the cycle going on and on and on, um, which is sad. Yes. But it also attracts attention of one man, Dr. Frank Roy Davis. Now, he was newly appointed to the Office of Public Health, so he actually has some traction um, to make things happen. So he had heard rumors about the newborns who died and about stuff that was going on at the maternity home. So he decided that he would just keep an eye out on the youngs and how they were running things. So for the next 15 years that he was in office, he just gave them nothing but trouble. Oh, good. So he worked to pass harsher restrictions. That's a shining He was light. putting pressure on them. He was, you know, always trying to keep them investigated for something. And in 1933, the maternity home was forced to hire their first registered nurse. So they. I
0: like to say this. He was a burr in their saddle. Yes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so. Or a pee under the mattress for Princess P. Oh,
1: yeah. Yeah. So he I kept about that aggravating story. them. Um, so now we know children have passed coming through this this home. Uh, but now we have Eva. Eva Kniforth. Um, She found herself in a situation. She had become pregnant with her boyfriend, Walter, and they weren't married, and they wanted to avoid a scandal. And so she found an advertisement for the ideal maternity home, and it sounded like the perfect solution. So she traveled there to seek their assistance in the matter, and she was already nine months along. And she arrived right before Christmas in 1935. She contracted an abdominal infection and had to be bedridden. And so, she was, wasn't was in labor yet. Okay. But in January 28th, so this is a long time yeah. now. She's probably overdue at this point. Um, she goes into labor. And her child died one day after delivery. Okay. Um, so, Walter rushed to visit Eva because he had gotten a letter from William. And he arrived to find her near death. She was um, fighting for her life. Um, he demanded the doctor be called in. He wanted the doctor to come in. And she was never given any antibiotics or any medication at all um, during this time for her infection. So she had been laying there for a month, month or more. Um, You know, William dismissed his request and said that he was a doctor. Remind you, he's just a chiropractor. Yes. (laughs) But he was the operating doctor and was not going to call anybody else. It wasn't necessary to call anybody because he was it. And then Lila promptly billed him for the child's funeral. Oh, my goodness. asked for the $20, $25 for the funeral. And he paid, reluctantly. You think the stress of everything that's going on, just, you know, fine here. Get it dealt with. Yes, but after they received the funds for the bill, they kicked him out. Because then they told him visiting hours were over. And he had to leave after he paid for the funeral. And um, Eva was dead by February 1st. 1936, mm. before Walter had made it back to visit her again. So he didn't, he wasn't there. He wasn't there when, mm. she, when she, passed. Um, so Walter was not going to let this go without a fight. So, you know, Dr. Davis had his eye on what was going on. So now you don't have, you have more than just a newborn dying. You have the mother dying too. Right. Um, so in 1936, Lila and William Young were charged with two counts of manslaughter in the death of Eva and her newborn, citing neglect and unsanitary conditions. Because you had Walter, who had been in there and visited. and Because mm. they probably didn't have visitors because they were going to... That's the women crazy. that were coming in were going to hide. Right. So they probably never had anybody else coming in. Right. And then to see them. So they had this woman who was dying, and he came in to visit and saw... That it
0: was an unsanitary sanitarium. Yeah.
1: (laughs) And so he brought it up or he talked about it and got in touch with Dr. Davis. So charges were brought up. So there was even a trial. There was a three-day trial. They had a doctor during trial under oath testify that she contracted her infection from unsterilized equipment during an examination prior to labor because she was she had the abdominal infection almost a month before she went into labor. Mm. And then there was a um, improper use of forceps on the newborn during delivery that caused the skull to separate, resulting in the newborn's death. So obviously from neglect. (laughs) So even though the trial was three days and they had that doctor who testified um, the reasons for everything that happened, they were acquitted. They were acquitted? They were acquitted. What in the world? Acquitted of all charges, like it never, ever happened. Poor Walter. So, following this, uh, Dr. Davis ordered the RCMP, which stands for Royal Canadian Mounted Police, to investigate any death coming out of the maternity home. So, now he's, like, extra watching these people.
0: I wonder if they came on horses. Uh, probably yeah then they're mounted please giddy up giddy up to the
1: don't make fun of our canadian friends
0: oh no no no! i think (laughs) it's awesome i think that's like really awesome to be on horses we love horses i I love horses
1: but in the several years that followed multiple complaints were, were filed and followed up on and it always seemed that the youngs were just not quite reachable they were always surrounded by wealthy supporters um and they never really paid for what they were doing So they're well represented, the presentation, you know, is everything, they're in society, they're well respected by the right people. Because they've Um, helped them get children. Exactly. Um, They're not above making threats, um, as well as, you know, to hide their illegal activity. And, you know, during all this, they're continuing to operate business as usual without a license for these 17 years They were open. And this, and the
0: doctor, I mean, he worked He for, was trying. Yeah, he worked for something important that could have done something
1: and still couldn't. They had more power than he did. Well, but in 1940, the Maternity Boarding House Act was amended through legislation. So now they had to apply for a license to operate the facility. Okay. So, of course, based on the results of inspections, their application was denied and the ideal maternity home was ordered closed. Yay. Yay. But... But, Oh, no. (laughs) Despite this, they continued to advertise lovely babies for adoption and proceeded to act like nothing had happened. And they, well, and too, they
0: could have started under, you know, change. Now you just change LLCs or sub-companies,
1: and you just change your name and keep on rolling. Yeah. um, With that client book they had going, but... So, Dr. Davis, he's still trying to close them down. You know, he's decided to look into the adoptions and try to track some of the babies. So, he's trying to track these these adoptions down. And in the U.S. at the time, New Jersey officials are also looking into the adoptions. Because a newspaper decided to run an article that reported a baby smuggling scheme supported by um, the rumors from the Ideal Maternity Home. So, they had also started to gain some attention our way in the United States. Um, so, they, in turn, were starting to get, you know, the press attention, and it started to ruin their reputation a little. So, to avoid being looked at in detail, they decided to find a loophole. So, now, they would require the mothers to travel with their newborns en route to their new home. So, they would get the moms to travel with the children across the border, because it's not smuggling if the mother comes along. Oh. Tricky. Mm. You know, but soon they were brought up on charges violating the Maternity Boarding House Act because they didn't get their license and practicing medicine without a license. So, for eight counts, they were charged. They were only convicted of three. But their they're punishment now, so they're convicted of all the, these three counts, a fine of $150. And they had made millions. It's like, sh- shame yeah. on you for doing that slap yes. on the wrist. Give yes. me 150 and
0: just keep doing what you're doing. That's right. And see, I wonder what they did to get the moms, because one of those moms that was riding with the family had to be upset, had to cause a problem, and they had to—they held them, I'm sure, accountable because they probably owed them money, or who knows, or they probably them. threw up another contract
1: and had them. Yeah. Uh, somehow, had they them probably in made there. them pay for the ride back? I bet they did. Mm.
0: <laughs> These were evil people.
1: So, in 1946, following the watchful eyes of multiple agencies at this point, Lila and William Young were charged and convicted of selling infants to four American couples. This time, their punishment was a fine of $428.90. Oh, 300 and some more. Considering at that time, Lila was charging $10,000 a child, they still made well over $35,000 and still didn't have to go to jail. They just had to, to pay a yeah. small portion of that. They needed to be under the jail. <sighs> so Lila didn't like all the bad press she was getting and she wanted to save her little empire that oh, she had built. Poor thing. Poor so evil Lila. Yeah. She filed a lawsuit against the newspapers for slander. <laughs> oh, she mm, trying to but, save herself and get her some more money. But the newspapers, they fought back. All they had to do was get these moms to testify Um, against the Youngs that all the the bad press wasn't exaggerated. It was actually true. Um, Even a mother who was working off her debt after giving birth and losing her child to the Youngs to be adopted out, she was made to pose as a nurse during an inspection. I don't know how (laughs) she didn't just give in at that moment. I
0: mean, they had to have threatened death or they had to have threatened something. I don't know how that... I'd fight
1: back. So, of course... You know, they lost the trial, and in the process, so much of their dirty laundry came out about how the business was actually operated, was uncovered, that they started to struggle financially, and the business began to plummet and drop. And so, they sold off the property and left the area. Kind of just gave their hands up and said, okay, for sale, we're God, leaving. God. Um, dodge. But it wasn't until it was being renovated to become a resort, and it burned down. And um, that's when the true horror of the facility was exposed. So some of the corpses in the butter boxes were found. Mm. um, But there was no way to determine cause of death. And there was not enough evidence to support charges. Enough time had passed. So no arrest was ever made and no charges were brought up against the Youngs. So they got away with it. And then one of the um, handyman of the ideal maternity home admitted to burying like at least 125 butter boxes on nearby land that was owned by Lotless parents. He he said you could tell how many they were because they were just in mass rows, like just like planting seeds down a row. Um, And then some of them were dumped in the water or burned in the furnace. There's no telling how many in total were um, perished at the Mm. hands of Lila and William. So I don't,
0: I just don't understand. I don't understand people that can do that. And the handyman, how he did it. They had
1: to have had fear.
0: (laughs) They held something over him too. So,
1: but several years after they left, you know, William died of cancer. Uh, Lila returned to Fox Point around she was born and she became a teacher. I, I, yeah. Back then before we had internet <laughs> and able to talk to people, but you would think the
0: gossip mill would have uh, shared all of her, um, gar- you know, her uh,
1: baggage, the, mm-hmm. all of her evil. But she lived until 1969. She was 70. She died of leukemia. And she's actually buried not far from many of the Butterbox babies. Um, she's buried at the Seven Day Venice Church in um, Box Point, adjacent to land where they dispose of some of the Butterboxes. Um, so there's no telling exactly how many children died at the hands of the youngs. You know, we're talking about hundreds and hundreds of just innocent babies that were never given the chance at life. And um, now there's, you know, much needed laws and policies and restrictions in place to protect those um, and adoptions. Um, But even though this is a huge tragedy, one that we can't just be unwritten or changed or forgot about what seems what people want to do nowadays. um, But there is a silver lining. So many people are finding out now that they were adopted from the Ideal Maternity Home and they're coming together as survivors. So there is a website. It's called IdealMaternityHomeSurvivors.com. And there's profiles of people who've been reunited with loved ones, with actual birth mothers who have found their children. It's really tears to see some of the stories. There's a page where there's people searching for ones that have been adopted out. Um, so if you are building your family tree and you do know that you're adopted and you've been adopted from that area, um, there is a chance that you can go on there and find your name. Um, if you are happen to look for, you know, your family history, you can go to that website. They have all the contact information and proper channels you need to go through to request information about your birth file. And so there's a list of surnames they're seeking from records being adopted out, um, even in states down here as far as, uh, like, Washington, D.C., New Jersey, New York. Oh, that's exciting. Um, That's cool. And so they've actually put a monument up, like this big statue, and it's in memory of all the babies that were born there. And um, they kind of have reunions in New Jersey. So it's kind of like wow, um, something beautiful out of this horrible, horrible tragedy. Very cool. And so while, you know, their crimes were listed as baby farming, um, as it was called back in the day, is, is not technically in assistance today. But there is another threat that's facing us every day, and it's under our nose, and we don't even realize it, and that's child trafficking. Yes. Um, roughly every two and a half hours, a child is taken by a trafficker. Um, The topic itself deserves an entire episode to dive into multiple details. We could probably do an entire season on human trafficking Mm -hmm. and the signs and how to recognize it. And it happens every day. It's not just children. It's adult workers, laborers, um, you know, with the border crisis and everything right now. And especially it's a growing because of social media. Um, And can you imagine if William and Laya have access to social media, how many people they would just, yeah. trap in there and, and laws can't keep up
0: um, law enforcement can't keep up because technology is at, almost at the speed of light compared to what people can do that's why we have to be in tune to it and not mm-hmm. be naive to not to think that it's not going on or happening around us
1: even in our small um even around here we have certain areas that are mm-hmm. hotbeds for it because mm-hmm. of the, the highway that runs yes. and and yes. tourist attractions yes and, um so, we to be very careful and keep our eyes open. Yep, It's hard to imagine what, you know, William and Lila were doing, but it's even harder to imagine. There's people out there that like that. You're doing that every day. Yeah. That's <laughs> now. Right. That's exactly It's right. like a $987 million a year industry. It's, it's crazy. Yeah. It's sad. Very scary. So... Well, like always, um, you can find us at oldtimecrimegals at gmail.com and on Facebook with our group. Um, We love you guys. Thank you so much for listening this week. I know it was a kind of a rough downer story. Um, If you need a break, I understand. but we appreciate you listening because (laughs) history
0: is history and it's good for us to be informed. So as you probably hear all the time, we don't repeat it and we don't want to repeat the bad things in history. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, and it continues. We are with what Melissa just talked about with the trafficking, um, even in 2021.
1: So it's just called something different. That's right. So, um, but we'll be back next week. Yes. Hopefully with a, um, Equally interesting and different story. That's right. But we hope you'll Um, join us. Yes. So that you didn't get too bummed out. That's right. Um. (laughs) So thank you for joining us. Again, we love you. And always remember,
0: if you do the crime, it'll catch up with you in time.
1: And we'll talk about it.